Good morning. I just want to let you know how good it feels to be here with you this morning. I'm glad that we're all here together so we can worship God together, so we can spend some time in His Word. I want you to know how much I appreciate this church family here. This has been a big part of my life for over 30 years now. And each week as I get closer and closer to Sunday, I find myself getting more and more excited about being with my family here on Sunday. So I just want to let you know how much you mean to me. And I know that we mean that much to each other. And it's good to be part of that kind of family. And as we get ready, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. Father, we thank you for all the ways that you bless us. Father, we thank you for this church family that you've blessed us to be a part of. And Father, help us to be people who humble ourselves so that we can serve each other in the way that Jesus has served us. Father, we are deeply humbled by the fact that you loved us enough that you sent your son to this earth so that he could die, so that he could take on our sins, so that we could stand before you purified, so we could stand before you holy. Father, so we could be in your presence. And Father, we thank you for the promise that you've made to us that someday we will be with you for eternity. And Father, we look forward to that day and we pray, Father, that that day will come soon. Father, we pray all this through the name of Jesus, who is our Christ. Amen. Well, a couple of weeks ago, I introduced our theme for this year at Netherwood Park. And it's a theme that we took directly from the 24th chapter of Joshua. And as you'll remember, in the 24th chapter of Joshua... Joshua, who's the great leader of Israel, the leader who took Israel into the promised land. Joshua gathered the people together and he wanted to remind them as he nears the end of his life about what God has done for them. And as he did that, he brought them to a decision point. He asked them to make a commitment. Joshua 24 and verse 14, we read this. Joshua said, now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your forefathers worship beyond the river. And in Egypt, and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve whether the gods your forefathers served beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But, and here is our theme, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And we chose this theme because we know that we, The people of this house, the people of Netherwood Park, are struggling individually and struggling collectively, struggling with throwing away the gods of the world and exclusively serving the true Lord, the true God. And because we know that God is calling us to be a house that's fully committed to the Lord, and because we know that we are people who want to be fully committed to serving God, We are determined throughout this year to call on and encourage each member of this house to make it all-consuming, white-hot, in spite of all obstacles, at all times and in all places and in every situation, commitment to serving the Lord our God. And over the next several weeks, we'll be exploring our theme in greater detail. We'll be looking at what it means to really commit to serving God. As part of that process, last week we asked the question, why choose God? Why choose to serve God? And we did that because we wanted to remind ourselves of why it is desirable to choose God instead of the gods of the world. And we let God answer that question himself. And we saw that God's answer to why choose me is because I am the God who created you and I am the God who loves you. 
His answer is, I am the God who provides for you, and I am the God who sustains you. He answers, I am the God who holds you up, and I am the God who keeps his promises to you. Why choose God? And God answers, I am the God who sent my son to justify you. I am the God who sent my son to save you, to reconcile you, to free you. God answers, I am the God who sent my son to redeem you and to heal you. I am the God who will resurrect you. Why choose God? God answers, because I, the all-powerful and all-sufficient God, have chosen you. That's why you should choose God. And today we'll continue to explore our theme in greater depth. And today we're going to spend our time together talking about service. We're going to consider what it really means, what we're really saying, what we're really committing to when we stand up and boldly and publicly proclaim that we will serve the Lord. And one of the things I think we need to acknowledge up front is that service isn't optional. We, all of us, each of us individually and all of us collectively are going to live our lives in service to something So really, the question isn't whether we will serve. The question is, which master will we serve? Which master will we choose? I have a quote in your bulletins there from the great theologian Bob Dylan. He sang it this well. You may not agree that Bob Dylan actually sings. He said it this way. You're going to serve somebody. It may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to serve somebody. And I think that's true, isn't it? Our lives are going to be controlled, they're going to be directed, they're going to be driven by a master. Now our master may be of our own creation, our master may be our own passions, it may be our own desires. Our master may be our own ambitions, our master may even be our fears. Or the master may be our Lord who created us, but we're going to serve somebody. And that's kind of hard for us to accept sometimes, I think, because we like to think that we're the masters of our own destiny. We like to believe that we're in control of our own lives. We like to feel that we're free to chart our own path. But what we're really free to do is to choose whom or what we're going to serve. What we control is whom or what we're going to choose as our master. Maybe the devil or it may be the Lord, but we're going to serve somebody. Peter put it this way in 2 Peter 2, verse 19. He said, you are a slave to whatever controls you. We're slaves to whatever controls us. But we're slaves. And I think that's a word that kind of makes us uncomfortable. We say the word slave or slaves or slavery because it brings up images and it brings up memories from our country's history that, frankly, I think most of us would rather just forget about. And I also think it makes us uncomfortable for Peter and for other biblical writers to suggest that we, followers of Christ, are actually slaves. I think that makes us uncomfortable because we love the idea of freedom. And we love the idea of liberty, and we know that slaves don't have freedom and slaves don't have liberty because they're owned by someone else. They're controlled by someone else. 
I think it's kind of interesting that we're comfortable with reading and hearing and even acknowledging that God is Lord and God is Master. And we readily talk about the fact that Jesus is Lord and Jesus is Master. But we don't seem nearly as eager to acknowledge that where there are lords and where there are masters, there are also slaves. There are slaves of those lords and masters. And also, I think that most of our Bible translations have really added to our problem about talking about being slaves of the Lord. By the way, they've translated some words. They've translated words from the Hebrew and words from the Greek that meant slave and meant slavery, and they've taken them and translated them as servant, service, and servanthood. And I really think that's a problem. Because when most of us hear the word servant and most of us hear the word servanthood, we think in terms of acts of service. We think in terms of something that we do voluntarily. We think in terms of something that's under our control. We think about it this way. I'm going to choose who I'm going to serve. And I'm going to choose when I'm going to serve them. And I'm going to choose how I'm going to serve them. And I'm going to choose the period of time that I'm going to serve them. And when we think in those kind of terms, we miss what Joshua committed to. We miss what Joshua committed his household to. And we miss what we are encouraging each other to commit to in this house. See, Joshua wasn't speaking about retaining any control at all. Joshua recognized that the choice for him and the choice for his people wasn't about whether they would serve That was a given. They were going to serve somebody. The only choice for them was the identity of their master. The question for them is, would they be enslaved to serve the gods of the nations, or were they going to be enslaved to serve the one true God? Remember, Joshua is a former Egyptian slave, and he's speaking to a group of people whose immediate ancestors were Egyptian slaves. And he speaks at a time when they were surrounded by slave cultures. Cultures where one of the defining characteristics for people was whether they were a master or whether they were a slave. So when Joshua talks about service, he's talking about the service of a slave. He's talking about the service of a slave where all control is in the hands of the master. Notice Joshua wasn't saying this. He wasn't saying, hey, people. Today, you need to choose who you're going to do some acts of service for. You need to choose whether you're going to do some acts of service for God or whether you're going to do some acts of service for the gods of the nations. He didn't say you need to choose when you're going to do those acts of service and you need to choose where you're going to do those acts of service. He didn't say, and then you need to get up out of bed tomorrow and make those same decisions all over again. That's not what Joshua, Joshua was saying. What Joshua was saying is, choose this day to whom you will be enslaved. As for me and my house, we will be slaves of the Lord. Joshua was saying, choose this day to whom you will give all control. As for me and my house, we will be controlled by the Lord. And as we move forward into the New Testament, we don't leave the notion of masters and slaves behind. Jesus and his disciples also lived surrounded by a slave culture. 
the presence of slaves and slavery was just a fact of life in the culture that they lived in. We also need to know that the New Testament is full of slave language and it's full of slave imagery. And if we leave that imagery and if we leave that language behind, we lose sight of what God has really done for us through Jesus Christ. And we lose sight of the life that God is calling us to. And what God has done for us through Jesus, he has freed us from slavery to sin so we can choose to be slaves of him. He's freed us from the slavery of sin so we can choose to be slaves of him. There are many passages in the New Testament that, lo- that use slave imagery and they use slave language. And they use that imagery and language to illustrate our relationship with God the Father and to illustrate our relationship with God the Son. And while there are many passages that do that, we're going to focus on Romans chapter 6 this morning. So you might want to turn there now. Romans chapter 6. And as we read from Paul's letter to the Roman Christians, I want you to notice how many times the words slave and slaves and slavery are used. You know, there's an interesting word study that I might suggest you do sometime that will bring some new meaning probably to what is going on in the New Testament. The Greek words that are translated here in Romans chapter 6 as slave and slavery and slaves are some variation of the Greek word doulos. I'll spell it for you. D-U-O-L-O-S. Doulos. And doulos and its variations are often and I think very unfortunately translated as servant. And servanthood and service. Instead of the more correct and accurate slave or slavery. Sometimes go through your Bible with a Greek lexicon and every time you see that word doulos, put in slave instead of servant and see what kind of new meaning that you get out of those passages. For example, at the beginning of Romans, Paul opens up his, his letter with these words. In the NIV he says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. But listen to the difference in the meaning when Paul says, Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus. See, right up front, Paul had no problem identifying himself as a doulos, as a slave. Paul, right up front in this letter, identifies himself as one who is owned property. He identifies himself as one who is totally and unquestionably at the beck and call of his owner. And his owner is Jesus Christ. Paul describes himself as someone who has obligated himself to surrender completely and totally to his master. And his master is Jesus Christ. He's committed himself to become Jesus' property. He's committed himself to place himself under Jesus' control. And Paul in Romans 6 calls us, disciples of Jesus Christ, he calls us to that same life. A life enslaved to Jesus Christ. I'll start reading with verse 3 in chapter 6. Paul writes, Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may have new life. If we have been united with him like this in his death, 
we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Skipping down to verse 16. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or slaves to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I put this in human terms because you are weak in your natural selves. Just as you offer the parts of your body in slavery to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer them in slavery to righteousness leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. But what benefit did you reap at that time from the things that you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now... Now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, in Romans 6, Paul tells us that Jesus' story is the story of a God once more responding to the slavery of his people. But the people this time aren't enslaved in a place where they are controlled by another nation. He sees his people enslaved and controlled by their own sinful nature and their own sinful desires. Paul tells us in Romans 6 that Jesus' story is the story of God sending a rescuer, sending a redeemer. But this time it wasn't a man that was elevated by God to lead his people out of slavery. This time the rescuer, the redeemer, is his own divine son, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ who humbled himself so that he could redeem his people from the control of sin. See, this is the story of Jesus' death on the cross. A death that paid the price, the price that was necessary to free all mankind from the slavery of sin. Jesus paid the price. With his blood, he paid the price. With his blood, Jesus purchased all of mankind. All of mankind from their old master, from sin. This is really an unusual transaction that's taken place. See, Jesus paid the price to purchase all of mankind from their old master. But then he did something really unusual. Jesus gave us, he gave the slaves a choice. He gave the redeemed slaves a choice, either to stay enslaved to our old masters or to freely choose to become slaves of our new master. So that's something that we have to do. We have to choose whether we're going to accept Jesus' offer to be our new master or whether we're going to remain enslaved to our old masters. And Paul here in Romans 6 reminds us that when we were baptized, that's exactly the choice we made. 
we chose Jesus as our master. See, when Jesus went to the cross, he claimed us. He claimed us as his own. He bought us. He paid for us. And then we, we, when we were baptized, when we confessed Jesus as our Lord, we claimed him. We claimed Jesus as our master. And we confessed ourselves as his slaves. See, Jesus' story is the story of our freedom. We have been set free. But we haven't been set free to do whatever we wish. We haven't been set free to do whatever we want. Because really, we need to understand that isn't freedom at all. That's simply the same slavery in which Jesus found us. So you know, what Jesus really did was he freed us from our sins so we could be free to serve him. We were set free so we could be under his control. We were set free so we can be his slaves. When we participated in Jesus' sacrificial death through our baptism, we were set free from our old master, our old master sin. And since we have been set free from sin, Paul reminds us, we need to stop behaving as if sin is still our master. We need to stop behaving as if sin still has control of us. Because we're baptized people. People no longer mastered by sin, no longer to be enslaved by sin. But now mastered, now enslaved by Jesus Christ. We are people who have freely chosen Jesus as our master. And when we were baptized, and when we boldly and publicly proclaim that we will serve the Lord, we are committing to being his slaves. And as his slaves, we have committed to his exclusive ownership. Remember what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24, he spoke this truth. He said, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. We can't have more than one master. We have committed to loving God and hating sin. We have committed to being devoted to God and despising sin. He is our Lord. He is our master. He is our only Lord. He is our only master. And as Jesus' slaves, we've also committed to giving him our complete obedience. Our complete obedience. Our wholehearted obedience. We don't give him our obedience just because he purchased us. Not just because he paid the price, but we give him our complete obedience because he purchased us out of love. We give him our complete obedience because out of love he reclaimed us to the life that we were created to have. Reclaimed us to a life in service, a life in obedience, and a life in relationship with the Lord and Master, not only of us, but of the entire world. And also, as Jesus' slaves, we have committed to being completely dependent on him. Also, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6 and verse 25, 
Jesus gave us this encouragement. He said, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. And then in verse 31, he says, So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. See, we haven't committed to just any master. We've committed to a master who will take care of our needs. We have committed to the master who has given us the freedom to pursue the kingdom and the freedom to pursue righteousness instead of having to live in worry having to live in fear. We have committed to being completely dependent on the master who is completely dependable. And we've also committed to being slaves of really a highly unusual master. We've committed to being the slaves of a master who actually made himself a slave just so he could rescue us from sin. Listen once again to this description of our master, Jesus Christ. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Your attitude, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be greedily held on to, but instead he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a slave being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. I've got to ask you, what kind of master is that? What kind of master is that? See, Jesus is the master who gave up his exalted position with the Father. Jesus is the master who made himself a slave. Jesus is the master who made himself completely obedient to his father. Jesus is the master who went to the cross to set us free. Why wouldn't we choose to be slaves of a master who loves us so much that he became a slave for us? Last week I asked the question, why choose God? And I want to ask a similar question this week. Why choose to be a slave of Jesus Christ? And I think the answer is we should choose to be a slave of Jesus Christ because he is no ordinary master. Jesus is the master who loves. Jesus is the master who saves. Jesus is the master who provides. Jesus is the master who suffers so his slaves won't have to suffer. Jesus is the master who paid the ultimate price for our freedom. We should choose to serve as his slaves because he chose to serve us. He chose to serve us when he left his father's side. He chose to serve us when he made himself a slave. He chose to serve us when he paid the price with his own blood to set us free. He set us free to have the freedom to serve him. So we choose to serve as Jesus' slaves because he has bought us. And he has brought us into a master and slave relationship that's unlike any other master-slave relationship. Because this is a relationship that's exclusively for us. 
It's exclusively for the benefit of the slaves. There's no other master-slave relationship like that. So let's thank God that we can call ourselves slaves of the Lord Jesus Christ. And let's thank God that we're able to speak these words of truth. But now, now that we have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit we reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. The wages we earned when we were slaves of sin was death. But the gift to slaves of God is eternal life. Eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So I want to end this morning with a few simple questions. First question is, are you a slave of Jesus Christ? Is he your master? Is he your only master? And as your master, have you given Jesus your complete obedience? And as your master, have you become completely dependent on him? And have you humbled yourself to become his slave? And let me say that if you aren't, if you aren't a slave of Jesus Christ, if you haven't confessed him as your master, and if you haven't confessed yourself as his slave, if you haven't done that in baptism, let me encourage you to humble yourself and choose to do that today. Let me also say, if you have confessed him as your master, and if you have confessed yourself as his slave in baptism, but you find yourself once more enslaved by your old master, enslaved by sin, won't you humble yourself? Won't you humble yourself and confess that sin is once more controlling your life? Won't you make that confession so you can once more confess Jesus as your master? And confess yourself as his slave. Choose this day whom you will serve. And if you're ready to surrender your life to Jesus as his slave and accept him as your master, won't you let us know? Won't you make that decision today? You can do that in a couple of different ways. We're going to stand up and sing a song about surrendering to Jesus. And as we're singing that song, you can walk to the front and you can let us know that you are ready today to surrender your life to Jesus, to become his slave, to accept him as your master. If you're not comfortable doing that, we understand. You can also make your way to the back, and you can go to room 104. Room 104, and in that room are a couple of our elders, godly men who have surrendered their lives to Jesus Christ and who would love to talk to you about surrendering your life as well. Whatever your needs are, won't you let us know while we stand together and we sing about surrendering our lives to Jesus.